up, creeps, and welcome to another brand new episode of the Epic Film Guys podcast. I am Justin. I am Jeremy. How and dramatic I'm, of I'm you. Be ready. <laughs> be ready. Did you just like magically turn southern? Uh-huh. Are you from Georgia or some shit? <laughs> no. Fuck no. I apologize to all of our listeners from Georgia. <laughs> Uncle Baby. All be ready. three of you. <laughs> All three of you toothless motherfuckers. All three of you. Yeah. Well. Well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's take well, that's the show for Here this we go. week. Thank you um, so much for tuning for in. Thanks for listening. <laughs> uh, no, we're we're going to be talking about monsters. And those of you that have been listening to this series, it's been a while since we've covered another one. We've done the '70s. We've done the '80s. We've done the '90s. So tonight we are here to count down our top five monster movies of the 2000s, which is the year 2000 to the year 2010. Mm-hmm. Which we all agreed on without even having to talk about it. There was no pre-show discussion. It just, we all automatically knew that it was 2000. We all automatically knew that's what we were going to be talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Without any planning at all whatsoever, mm-hmm. because we have this strange psychic ability or yeah. some bullshit like that, where we just know what we're going to be doing. But hopefully... Uh, I mean, I, I, I think this is a good era for monster movies. Honestly, the more and more I think about it when we've done these countdowns, I don't think they're... When you start in the 70s and then from there on, I don't think there's a shitty era at all for monster movies. I mean, maybe more recently, but not even at all, actually. I don't know. What do you guys think? No, I don't think... I think the 70s is probably where it, uh, it, it only gets better. I mean, you know, I, I love... The, the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Um, I'm gonna be of honest, course. I don't really yeah. know a ton of 60s horror movies, but uh, yeah, 70s starts off strong and just you never really let up. Yeah. So that's what we're here to do, and we might as well jump right the fuck into it and be ready as always. As is customary, we will start with you. Aw, thanks. The youngest member you of the You young show. piece yeah. of shit. Your knees don't even hurt yet, little bitch. <laughs> Oh, yeah, they be do. ready because I got that cartilage damage, baby. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, coming in hot at number five for me, number five is a PG 13 horror movie Boo. from 2003. And the plot is a vengeful spirit has taken the form of the tooth fairy to exact vengeance on the town that lynched her 150 years earlier and her only opposition is the only child now grown up who has survived her before i'm talking about darkness falls i knew your ass was gonna put God, that on your list it's so I knew it. fun i've st- i like, still haven't I seen love it this movie so I much i still have not oh, fucking seen that movie dude you gotta watch it it's i mean they're I've talked about it on this podcast many times, but there's moments of true terror. Uh, I think when I saw it, I was super fucking young. This might be one of the only movies that I saw around the time it came out, so I would have been like eight or nine, and it was on the sci-fi channel, and I was just floored. Like, the tooth fairy? Like, this fucking thing is terrifying. And it's anytime, yeah, I just, anytime I just looked up a picture out. of it, and it looks kind of almost like Freddy Krueger-esque with, like, really long, stringy white hair. Yeah, dog. It's good. It's some spooky shit. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to watch you know, it soon. Yeah, you should. You said that last time, and that was like a I know, and a half ago. I know. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's got seen James Vanderbilt was one of the writers. It's really good. <laughs> Takes up most of my time. <laughs> is it kind of like the, is it kind of like the thing? Is it like that? Uh, does it, does it yeah, deal so with a me, research um, group out of Antarctica? The closing credits run for 11 minutes on this movie. 
And it's because without the extra time, the movie would have been considered too short to release theatrically. So they had to make the credits 11 minutes. Damn. Crazy. So in other words, you're saying that it's not going to take up very much of my time and I should definitely watch it. It's like an hour and 28 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, man. Perfect runtime for a small little PG-13 horror movie. That is very, very effective as a PG-13 horror movie. But yeah, number five, Darkness Falls. When darkness falls. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Number five. Who wants a number five? Number five for me is uh, from 2007. (laughs) It's uh, a film about a freak storm that unleashes a species of bloodthirsty creatures on a small town where a small band of citizens hole up in a supermarket and fight for their lives. I'm talking about The Mist. Ooh, great pick. Yeah, I knew this would be on your list, too. Yeah, man, it's it's just as good now as it was when it came out. Um, I just revisited it not that long ago. And, man, from the creature designs to the claustrophobia of the, you know, all the characters stuck in the grocery store. And I I worked in a grocery store for many, many years. And so, like, I feel like when this movie came out, I was like, oh, man. Yeah, that's where that's where I'd want to be. You know, at least you got, you know, all the mm-hmm. food and necessary supplies. But I love uh, the religious elements that came out in this and the paranoia mixed with the creatures and people turning against each other, which is exactly what would fucking happen in real life, man. Like people turn into savages when all the odds are down and when it's uh every man for themselves scenario. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different layers to this movie. It wasn't just people stuck in a grocery store with monsters, right? Like there's a lot of different layers to this movie. There's a lot of different characters. Um, it uh, it has uh, Andre Brower, RIP, who just passed away recently, who, man, he was, not only was he, Absolutely fucking hysterical on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. But God, he was just such a good actor. You know, um, he was he was in a couple Stephen King adaptations. He was also in the Rob Lowe starring Salem's Lot miniseries and in this one as well. And his performance was brilliant as ever, of course, with Thomas Jane delivering a uh, fantastic performance as well. And I would say I would say career like top career oh for sure absolutely for absolutely and like dude you can't talk about this movie without talking about the end of this movie one of the most fucking heartbreaking endings oh i'll never forget seeing it in theaters oh man the groan that came out of the audience was it just permeated throughout the entire theater yeah absolutely fantastic absolutely fantastic uh I had no idea what place this was going to be in my top five, but I knew it was going to be there. So that's my number five. Mm. Yeah. And of course, you know, icon Frank Darabont fucking behind the camera, you know, it's perfection. Which which is why there were so many. He's done some good Stephen King adaptations, too. Yeah, he did Shawshank and Green Mile as well. Yeah, Which is also why there was uh, a few Walking Dead cast members that were in... uh, the mist because this this was a precursor to the walking dead coming out um so he kind of cherry picked uh some some great actors to tag along with him on the walking dead journey that he started 
Yeah. Yeah, great pick. I mean, I fantastic pick. Yeah, for sure. My number five, and give me ship now if you want to for how low it is, comes from 2008. Directed by uh, the man that made the Batman, Matt Reeves. I'm talking about mm. Cloverfield. Yeah. And, you know, I think we talked about this a little bit in passing uh, when the anniversary landed a few weeks back uh, in the group chat. I've been outspoken in terms of not being a fan of found footage style horror films. Uh, it's just not really my thing. Now, that doesn't mean that I haven't seen some that I've enjoyed. Um, and in my older age and getting more mature as a cinephile, if you will, I've found a new found appreciation for the style and in especially this movie because it was the first time you ever saw a monster movie from this viewpoint and with this style. And I love how it kind of took the Jaws route where you didn't see a lot of the monster at all. It was just how people were reacting to it. And of course it is a post nine 11 situation where, you know, after nine 11, every single monster movie that you would see come out, get released, approached the destruction in a different way. And we, we see it through a different lens because it's actually way more terrifying to us because we've as a society experienced this firsthand. And this movie really captured that perfectly. And, you know, it's just really one, I, I would probably say definitely top five found footage movies ever. And, you know, of course, I know, Jeremy, you and I were talking about it. The monster design of the Cloverfield monster, we had never seen anything like that either up until that point. And it's so unique and it's so it's terrifying, but it's also really interesting and organic in its own way. And I just really appreciate it now more than ever. I'll never forget seeing it in theaters and just being like, eh, shaky cam, lots of shaky cam. Um, but watching it much later, uh, you know, as a more mature Mature. Person, I, <laughs> yes. Um, you know, it, it it connected with me a lot more um, on a deeper level. So my number five is Cloverfield. You know, it's crazy. I've actually never seen Cloverfield. Oh. All right, let's make yeah. let's make a promise to each other right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, I will. Let's also not forget. Uh, have you either of you watched um, Possessor yet? Oh, yeah. I was. Let's make two promises to each other. Let's make two promises to each other right now. <laughs> but well, question though, question though, um, Brady, have you seen Ten Cloverfield Lane? No, because I felt like I couldn't see that if I hadn't seen oh, Cloverfield. You could see it. I mean, honestly, I'll be straight up with you. I actually prefer Ten Cloverfield Lane. It's one of my favorite movies. Hmm. Probably, it's a definitely top 50 movies on John Goodman's absolutely brilliant in it. Um, but yeah, right. technically, you don't need to watch Cloverfield before you see but it. But I they will are watch connected Cloverfield, in way. and I will watch you Darkness guys, Falls. Darkness Falls and Possessor. All right. Yes. Done. There we are. All right. So, Blood now it's back to me for my number. No- okay, well, um, <laughs> my number four. But Blood Oath. Is, <laughs> I mean... Hemorrhoids, sure. Uh, two thousand. Really painful. Really painful. <laughs> Let me get to my fucking number four. <laughs> but god damn it! You know what? Just scrap the episode. Uh, two thousand seven's Thirty Days of Night. Uh, absolutely fantastic uh, vampire movie. Uh, you know, I think you're here at the the peak of Josh Hartnett uh, before his renaissance, his resurgence. Um, but in the this, Hartnettissance, the Hartnettissance, if you will. Uh, 
dude, it's in fucking Alaska during their 30 days of night. And it's just, I mean, Danny Houston plays a vampire, uh, a terrifying vampire at that. And people are just getting ripped to shreds. These vampires are coming out of the dark. It has kind of that, that weird 2007s grimy grunge look that you kind of get from like sin city the really edgy look to it for sure. yeah and i just i love it and it's such a terrifying concept and i mean for those who have seen it i won't spoil or haven't seen it i won't spoil it but it's kind of like the new season of true detective like it takes place in this same setting same time frame and so like it's just it's so fucking good it's one of my favorite vampire movies ever uh and uh yeah if you guys haven't seen it go see it but i couldn't make this list without putting 30 days of night on there Major props to Ben Foster in that movie, too, because yeah. he's fucking... I mean, he's a great character actor, but I absolutely love him in that movie. Another one I saw in theaters, love the shit out of it. I'll be straight up. It's not on my list because I did my best. I tried to stay away from... If I was going to include anything vampire-like, I was like, I can't have more than one sure. on the list. So, amazing pick. I love this movie. I own it. I saw it in theaters opening night, and it blew me away. I definitely see those comparisons with that and the new season of True Detective. Love. It's such a great setting, the 30 Days of Night in Alaska, because it's it, it automatically makes you feel claustrophobic and closed in and uncomfortable because it's literally night constantly. Yeah. So I, I would go absolutely crazy. Like I oh, get, yeah, for I sure. get upset when I wake up at like 7 o'clock in the morning and it's still pitch black out. But if I were to walk around at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and it's just pitch black, I'd be like, what the fuck? I, I couldn't handle it. Yep. Oh, yeah. Stir crazy. Yeah, Definitely. exactly. Cabin fever just on a very large scale. But 100%. Yeah, number four. Jerry, Great what pick, about you? Uh, well, before I move on to mine, dude, I, I love that movie. I love how truly the vampires in 30 Days of Night were actual monsters. Like, they were savage. Yeah. There was no human qualities. There was no compassion. They were bloodthirsty monsters that were there for one purpose only. And uh, the movie's absolutely fantastic. It holds up great. I've seen the sequel. It was direct-to-video, and it's been many, many years. But I remember... Is that Dark Days? Yeah, I think it is called Dark Days. I remember really fucking digging the direct-to-video sequel, too. I don't know whether, you know, that'll that'll hold true if, if I rewatch it now. But, uh, yeah, maybe... Yeah, maybe check out the sequel, too, if you like that one. So, hmm. my number yeah, four is... About two death-obsessed sisters, outcast in their suburban neighborhood, must deal with the tragic consequences when one of them is bitten by a deadly werewolf. I'm talking about oh, yeah. Ginger Snaps, baby, baby, from 2000. <laughs> Dude. Great, great now day. widely considered a classic. Uh, yeah. To a lot of people. Dude, I I was obsessed with this movie. Um. This came out when I was a sophomore in high school. And this is back when video stores were still very prevalent, man. Like, I was still actively going to the video store every single week, trying to find, you know, a new horror movie. That it's it's kind of like the way that I that I liken it is going on YouTube, right? and just going down a spitfall of trying to find a new artist, right? So you just keep clicking on videos, trying to find a new artist that you're going to be like, fuck, I really love their music, and now I've got this new thing that I can, you know, cling on to and really appreciate. That's what going to the video store was like for me. Like, I would go, and, man, I would study 
these fucking movies. The the box art, the synopsis on the side, who's in it, who directed it, and the new release wall was always super fun because, like, dude, the, the internet was, you know, it was a thing, but it wasn't, like... It was in its infancy, Yeah, really. absolutely. So it wasn't like I'm like, oh, let me go on all these things and check out all these reviews. and That shit didn't really exist. You found out by... We didn't do that back then. No, <laughs> man. Like, so... You know, this was a movie that I remember getting and being like Ginger Snaps, like kind of a cheesy ass title, but I love the honestly, I love the title because it instantly grabs your attention. Just like you're saying right now, you're like Ginger Snaps. What the fuck is Ginger Snaps? I've always loved werewolf movies, and most of the times they're a letdown. I've said that on the show before, Um, but I always get excited for them because I'm like, dude, I'm just waiting because. We get one super solid werewolf movie, it seems like, only once every, like, ten years. You know? I could be fucking wrong on that. I don't know. But Ginger Snaps, man, I remember... That sounds, I, about, sounds right. Yeah, Ginger Snaps, man. I remember I, I took it home, and I watched it, and I was just like, holy fuck, man. I loved the acting uh, from Catherine Isabel and Emily Perkins. Emily Perkins, obviously, was... She played Little Bev in the Tommy Lee Wallace-directed It miniseries from 1990. Um, Catherine Isabel later got some stardom from, you know, starring in Freddy vs. Jason. Horror icon. Absolutely. Definitely. Um, so I loved this movie. I loved the dark tone. I loved the dark humor of it. Um, it's got Mimi Rogers in it as the mom, which is like super random. Um, wasn't she like Tom Cruise's first wife or some shit like that? Wasn't that a thing? Who am I thinking of? Is that her? Wasn't, I thought that, I thought that was, uh. What's her name? Nicole Kidman. No, hold on, hold on. A second one. Nicole Kidman wasn't married. She was married to Tom Cruise, bro. Hold on. I'm, I'm, oh, who'd you just say? Mimi Rogers. Yeah, yeah. Hold on. Uh, Tom Cruise, Mimi Rogers. Tom Cruise was married to Nicole Kidman. Wait, I don't so know about. Who'd... I don't know who. I don't know about Tom Hanks. I don't know what. Oh, you said Tom Hanks. I'm sorry. Right I thought you said Tom Cruise. I'm really sorry to the Hanks family. All I know about Mimi Rogers that I could find real quick is that the beginning of her acting career that she lived with Kirstie Alley. Uh, I don't know anything about who she was married to. Hold on, I'm looking it up. <laughs> yep. Fuck yeah, baby. Do, fuck yeah, baby. Uh, Tom Cruise was married to Mimi Rogers from 1987, and they got divorced in 1990. No shit. Yeah. All right. Well, there it is. There you yep. are. And then, and then right. he married so, Nicole Kidman listeners. in 1990. So he did. He didn't waste no time. And then he married Katie Holmes, and I don't think he's married now. But nope. Nah. So, anyways, it's got a. Uh, we love doing his, Tom Cruise trivia in the middle of the episode. His dick is Mission Impossible now. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so yeah, this Ba-doomed. man. This anyways. this has some really cool. Um, practical effects work in it. The werewolf looks fantastic. The ending of this movie was tragic for, for me and for, for most viewers. And I just, I, I really dig this one a lot so much so that man, I, I have an eight by 10. Um, this is how long ago is that I had Catherine Isabel sign when I met her in 2000, probably six or 2007. And so it's a picture of her and Emily Perkins from Ginger Snaps, right? Catherine Isabel signed it. I've legitimately waited almost 20 years and still don't have Emily Perkins. She does conventions, too. She just doesn't do them often. And when when she does them, they're typically not on the East Coast and shit like that. 
So one day I will get the last autograph I need on that 8x10 because I, I love Ginger Snaps. So that was my number four. Dude, yeah. another amazing thing about that movie that I have to bring up, and I know you're a huge fucking fan, uh, Glassjaw is on the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Uh Kill Switch Engage, Soulfly, Fear Factory, Hate Breed, Saliva. Uh, I mean, it's got a great fucking soundtrack as well that Roadrunner Records released, and I'll, I remember that shit for for sure. Dude, so yeah, this fucking great era pick. of movies with with their soundtracks, man. H2O yeah, horror, horror movies with, used uh, to get great fucking yeah. soundtracks, man. They used to get great soundtracks. Yeah, shit just doesn't happen anymore. No, it doesn't. What man. about you, man? But moving along, my number four comes from the guy that wow i mean if you go on twitter right now you won't you won't browse more than three or four accounts without seeing his fucking name because he now runs dc film i'm talking about 2006's slither which is still my favorite james gunn movie fuck y'all um i have no issue with the guardians of the galaxy movies at all whatsoever they're they're fantastic movies his the suicide squad also loved the shit out of it but this movie is literally the definition of a monster movie um a small town in south carolina being invaded by malevolent little alien parasites uh that are absolutely disgusting i mean i knew girls at the time when this came out uh that i was seeing or whatever maybe whoever I was dating at the time, refusing to see the movie because the bathtub scene or whatever in the yeah. trailer, they're yeah. like, I'm not going to see that shit because think about it. I mean, like, ugh, it's yeah, it's, it's icky as shit. Um, the movie is gross as fuck. There's a great mixture for 2006 of CGI and practical effects. And of course you have Grant played by Michael Rooker who turns into this massive, like fucking appalling creature at the end, like covered in KY jelly, uh, just absolutely fantastic as he's, <laughs> you know, trying to woo Elizabeth Banks, his wife, uh, you know, and then Nate Fillion's in the movie as well. Great cast. It's just a blast of a movie. I watch this one from time to time, just throw it on because it's so much fucking fun. We don't get movies like this anymore that are, you know, overtly tongue in cheek, silly, tons of creatures, awesome practical effects it, this one was just an absolute blast for me it didn't blow up the box office or anything like that but i remember seeing it and having a really good time with it great pick, so that's man. my number four i still yeah uh, I, I still I actually, often quote something's wrong with me from that <laughs> <laughs> i uh i didn't see that for the first time until maybe like three or four years ago and i loved it first time seeing it and even after all this time it's come out uh so great pick uh moving along to our top three here uh for me you know jeremy it's funny that you mentioned uh, a werewolf movie as as your last one because i also have a werewolf movie coming in uh for my number three and that is a 2002 british action horror film by neil marshall called dog soldiers amazing fucking movie uh you know, I know on the podcast, we all love American Werewolf in London, The Howling, uh, but I think this is up there in the same ranks. I think that this One is ch- oh, 100%. a completely no underrated horror movie, uh, werewolf movie too, but it's it's 
so fucking good. Like the practical effects are on point. The comedy is on point. It's the the gore is on point. Like it, there's even little things they do. Like, you know, there's tons of things that happen in movies where there seems to be like unlimited ammo. But in this one, they're like really talking like, hey, make sure you do three round bursts because we have to conserve ammo because we're out in the middle of fucking nowhere on a training. Uh, there's scenes that are so reminiscent of Alien or Aliens. And like you just get tons of references to that throughout the movie too. And and there's one scene that really sticks out to me. It's like the the werewolf is trying to get in the door. One of the sh- the soldiers like puts his back against it and barricades it, and then the claws start coming through. And instinctively, he just like starts beating the shit out of the claws like they're nails. And I was like, that's exactly what you would do in that situation. Uh, it's it's just a fun movie. It's gory. Like there's scenes of of the werewolf ripping through intestines of people, and it's just it makes you queasy. And I just I. I feel like a lot of people do know about it, but it doesn't get talked about quite as much as the other werewolf movies. Um, and we always talk about how werewolf movies have just declined over the years. And, and this well, is... Well, I mean... Go ahead. Apparently, um, Neil Marshall's been saying for the past decade that if he can get the funding, he's the script is ready or whatever. He wants to make this. Yeah, this yeah evil, that's so. been in limbo for so long. And uh, I don't understand how he went from this and made a really shitty Hellboy movie. Listen, honestly, I'm not even going to shit on him for that Hellboy movie because his mind was in the right place. There was a lot of cooks in the kitchen, a lot of hands in that cookie jar, fucking with, fucking around with shit. Uh, it it, it necessar- wasn't necessarily his fault at all whatsoever. You know, so it showed that his heart was in that movie. I don't think the movie was good, but it also wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen. And I think it was good because he also said in some interviews that he wanted to get away from this trope of werewolf movies of them being cursed, right? And he was like, "It's so exhausting that you always get this tortured soul," which is fine. We all love that, but it was really cool to to really not have any care about what the no. wolf was going through like it's really just them fucking people up like mm-hmm. you care about the soldiers who are stuck there liam cunningham yeah. is in it he's fucking great in this and then goes on to game of thrones yep in incredible so yeah number three dog soldiers dude i've i've been along great pick the man. roller coaster for the sequel for this thing to get made for so long so many dude there was there was even a like a teaser trailer that was cut together several years ago if, if i'm not mistaken probably around 2010 ish there was a little teaser trailer that that neil marshall made um and man so many false starts and let down so i've kind of given up hope on a sequel to it which is okay not every fantastic fucking movie needs a sequel and and dog soldiers is a fantastic movie it's literally if you've never seen dog soldiers it's literally the movie aliens but with werewolves in the woods like dude it's fucking awesome you should uh run and check that out right now but my number three is all is also a neil marshall film oh my god are we both gonna cross over on our number threes because i think we the are. descent baby that's right yeah it's also my number three dude, yeah <laughs> and this this movie i remember renting it and I was living in an apartment at the time and I uh it was the first time that I'd lived on my own, you know what I'm saying? Like a couple years after graduating high school and I rented this movie and me and a buddy watched it at nighttime. It was pitch black and we watched the movie. It scared the app like dude, some of the jump scares in this movie are so fucking good. They're not cheap, dude. They're like legitimate scares. Um nightmare fuel. Absolutely for sure. and you guys know that 
one specific type of movie that I like is movies with characters in impossible situations that they're desperately trying to find a way out of. That is what The Descent is. Um, and it is a... Uh, it's about a caving expedition that goes horribly wrong as the explorers become trapped and ultimately pursued by a strange breed of predators. So basically it's like these like thrill-seeking chicks that go and explore caves, unexplored caves and shit like that. Um they're in this cave system when they realize that these caves are inhabited by inbred monster mutants basically. Um, and it's almost like bat people. Like they kind of look like bat creatures. That's, that's how I've always, I mean, they're called the crawlers or something. They, they, they look like bat people to me. That's always what I've thought. Yeah, dude, they're fucking terrifying, man. And I just remember watching this movie and having so much fun with it and it being terrifying and it making me jump out of my seat several times. And I love it, man. There's a sequel to this one too. Sequel's pretty solid, not as good as the first one, but god damn if I don't love this one. So that is my number three. Nice. Great pick, and yeah, I'll just kind of piggyback off what you said. Um, this one, I mean, I tried to, every movie on my list, I, I tried to make it one that I saw in theaters. And this one I'll never forget going with my buddy Nick Martinson. He used to sponsor the show. He owned Evil Team before it went away. Martinson... Shout out to you. I know you don't fucking listen because you don't watch fucking movies, but um, it was himself and his girlfriend at the time, and they were not horror people at all whatsoever, but they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to see this movie, The Descent. I'm like, oh, we'll go with you, and it was just us three and I think maybe two other people in the theater. I was at the Regal and Front Street in Binghamton, and everything you said was perfect, Jeremy, but what I felt the most from this movie was just outright claustrophobia. Like, the the small areas that they were in in this cave just made me feel so uncomfortable. And then you realize what they're actually up against. The build-up to when you actually see something is perfection. And then when you do, you're like, oh, my God. When you see these crawlers or whatever that are apparently uh, just underground creatures that appear just like i guess stayed underground they've involved in this environment over thousands of years and they've just adapted to thrive in the cave they can't see but they have like perfect hearing so that's why they can fucking climb like crazy they just live in this habitat constantly and they're not used to seeing humans so when the shit hits the fan it goes insane and i also find it interesting that it's a movie where the cast of characters, it's all female, and they're not the most likable characters. They're really not, but you're still rooting for them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and they're all unique and individual, and the writing is, is is extremely well done. This movie, unlike Dog Soldiers, which really didn't do much financially, was only made for like $4 million and made $57 million. So it was actually a huge hit for Marshall and opened the door for him to be able to do so many other movies. So... Yep, fucking great pick. Number three, a classic, The Descent. Nice. Uh, well, uh, my number two has already been talked about, uh, and it's probably no surprise that a Stephen King adaptation falls on my list, but it is The Mist, as Jeremy already talked about. Uh, I, you know, Jeremy, you hit it on the head, but it's just such a fucking good 
psychological horror too and a creature feature at the same time um you know going into some backstory a little bit you know darabont had wanted to do something like the mist as his first adaptation for king uh and then did not went with shawshank redemption which wow big loss right (laughs) uh and then went with the green mile afterwards uh because he wanted to make a very direct muscular kind of film he went with the mist uh and he actually rewrote the ending so the ending that happens in the movie is not what happens in the book uh and king loved it said the ending is such a jolt it's frightening but people who go to see a horror movie don't necessarily want to be sent out with a pollyanna ending and you definitely don't get that with this movie um there's really no relief at all through this movie and that's the kind of film that i like you know from the moment that it opens with thomas jane's character david painting a mural uh to them being in the store to the creature showing up to them escaping only to (laughs) have one of the saddest endings i think in recent horror films uh there's just there's no relief you're always being subjected to something that's making you upset um and it's it's great it's fantastic it's it tugs at your heartstrings too and like you said justin this is probably a career defining role and performance for thomas jane um i love him in the punisher i think it's a fun movie but this is really where he shows his chops of of what he can do um and i wish that he had he had gotten a chance to do more movies like this um but yeah i i I mean i could go on and, and on and on about this but we already talked about it uh so yeah number two the mist so you mentioned thomas jane's character painting do you remember which painting is also visible when he's painting it's from the Dark Tower, right? And the thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I'm just saying, is. bro. I'm just saying. You know that meme from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where Leonardo DiCaprio's yeah. character stops. He's like, whoop, 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 whoop. That's you anytime that comes on. Dude. Like, oh, there it is. There it is. The I thing. mean, dude, yeah. Uh, he's got the Drew Struzan painting uh, in, in his art studio. So I'm like, you know. The Thing 1982, what can I say? What can you say? What can I, well, what that can I can't do? be that can't be on your list, Jeremy, because that didn't come out in the 2000s. I know, I know. He's like, well, in 2001, I watched it for the 18th time. That's accurate. So it does fucking count. Accurate. Uh, my number two came out in 2008, and it deals with a group of friends that venture deep into the streets of New York on a rescue mission during a rampaging monster attack I'm talking about Cloverfield. This movie was so monumental for me. Um, This was one of the best uh, marketing campaigns of any movie to date at that time. And it really redefined how movies are promoted now. Um, The marketing on this movie, there could be a whole documentary just about how this film was marketed. Because they were so fucking smart with how they marketed this movie. So they let you know this is a giant monster movie. Or is it? What is it? Mm -hmm. Is it a monster movie? They didn't show you the monster in the trailer, right? And even the first teaser trailer. I remember seeing the first teaser trailer. And it was like the Statue of Liberty's head being thrown like down the street. And it's like, it just had a date. It didn't even tell you the fucking movie's name, if, I, if I'm if i recalling correctly. So I'm like, what is this, right? So this was the first, like, viral campaign for a film where it was like, 
it gave you the the website address and every day like you had to go and search for like clues and it, it would open different things and all people wanted was what the fuck does the monster look like and they started it so far ahead of of the film's release that like literally you know if you could be on the website and it could be a tiny little clip it could be about a drink called slusho right well like what significance does this drink slusho have to the plot of this so i just remember i was on the website like fucking every day like a crackhead dude like trying to like what is this what is this i i had to know dude i had to know so much that um i went to go see this on a friday when it released or whenever the fuck it released i went to a 10 a.m screening it was the very first screening of the movie because i was like dude i just want to know what the fuck this thing is and so i watched it and god damn i loved every moment of it and when you finally get to see the monster it was like six months of like fucking anticipation to finally get a look at this thing and i still think it is uh, it's my favorite um giant monster movie um it just it just is it hits it hits checks all the boxes for me i love the monster design i love the characters i i love that it doesn't overly explain itself either like it gives you glimpses like when even in the last shot of the movie that takes place before all the events when they're on the ferris wheel and you can kind of see in the background something falling from the sky like little nuggets like that that it doesn't overly explain everything to you like is this a monster that like went plummeting into the ocean and woke up or was it an asteroid that went into the ocean and woke up something that's been in the ocean sleeping all this time like it never explains things and i find it fascinating and i still love it so much to this day one of my biggest regrets when it comes to this movie is i remember going to potomac mills mall and there was a kb toy store in there and this was a while after the movie was released and they had a fucking Cloverfield, like, huge, like, probably, like, 14-inch figure, right? It was from McFarlane or one of those companies. And I remember, and it, like, dude, they had, like, knocked some of the price down. So it was, like, only, like, 50 bucks, something like that. And I remember I picked it up, and I was, like, really? And I remember at that time, it was, like, dude, I was living on my own, you know, paying all the bills for the first time. And I was, the shit was real lean, right? So... I just remember being like, man, I really want this, but like, should I buy this? And I didn't. I decided to be a responsible person, probably the only time in my life, as I'm looking at all the shit that's surrounding me right now. And I I put it back. <laughs> I put it back. Bro, if you guys get time, look up how much that action figure sells for now. I am looking at it right now. I just saw one for $880. Dude it has haunted me to this day. I'm like, <laughs> God damn it. You should have bought one. Now I'll never have it. They, they must've been extremely rare because dude, I was going into KB. I was going into Toys R Us at that time. I've been collecting figures my entire life. I never stopped. I don't recall seeing it, but by looking at it now, I mean, dude, seriously, it's epic, dude, it's epic. I got to throw it in your face. You should have fucking bought I, it. I you should have bought it. Severely <laughs> fucked up. Um, and eBay lets me oh, know dude. that it's it's badass. It is. It's badass. It is, man. I love it. You know, and they're talking uh, before we go to uh, uh, your your pick, Justin. 
uh, they are talking about doing a proper Cloverfield sequel um, that would actually be a direct continuation of the first film because these Cloverfield movies, man, they've they've kind of gone in a Twilight Zone direction with it where it's just Cloverfield is kind of just the name and it's just different stories. Well, let's, fa- let's face it. Let's face it. The Cloverfield Paradox was a bad fucking movie. I'll never forget them last minute releasing it on Netflix. Not last minute, but like trying to be a surprise. Like they aired the commercial on the Super Bowl, like watch it tonight at this time. And I fucking rushed home from my brother-in-law's to watch it. And it's supposed to connect to the original. And it was just a really bad, generic-ass movie. It was an afterthought. In post-production, They when they filmed it, they never filmed it to be intended to be a direct continuation of the first film. In post-production, they were like, you know, if we added these couple little things, it'd be a nice, like, tie together. Um, So, it connecting to the original Cloverfield, it really doesn't. It was an afterthought. This new movie that J.J. Abrams and company is talking about doing is apparently supposed to be a direct continuation of the very first Cloverfield movie, which I'm down with. I'm also cool with it just being a, a one-off, but I would love, I would love to see more Clovey. Let's be honest. I would too. I just, I just hope it's good. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the thing. I, like I said, I think I, I love 10 Cloverfield Lane. I think it was fantastic. Oh, so fantastic. it'd be cool if they went that direction, you know, but either way, I digress. My number two, going in a slightly different, different direction here is from 2005 directed by legendary film director peter jackson it's king kong his remake of king kong epic monster adventure i mean the guy had dreamed since he was a small child of remaking king kong and what he put on the screen was a beautiful epic entertaining movie i saw it opening night with my sister tara Uh, And I remember her being like, you know, she would go to movies with me once in a while, but we were halfway through it and she's like, is this almost over? I'm like, no, this shit's almost four hours. (laughs) And there was actually an intermission for the movie because make no mistake, it is long as fuck. Okay, it's super long. But for the time, I mean, Andy Serkis did all the motion capture. This is hot on the heels of him being Gollum in The Lord of the Rings and him. His performance as King Kong is it's it's a thing of beauty it really is just perfection um in terms of a performance and the relationship that the character andero played by naomi watts has with kong is a thing of beauty in itself it's just a lovely film with great action i mean you see for the first time on screen king kong actually battling it out with two T-Rexes, there's all kinds of different dinosaurs, there's giant insects. I mean, the movie, he had to cut a bunch of that shit out. I mean, the swamp scene, if you own the Blu-ray now and all the special features, you could watch that stuff, all the extra stuff he cut out, like the stuff in the cave. Um, But, I mean, for a monster lover, and for me growing up, King Kong was always one of my favorite things. Jeremy, ever since you've known me, you've known I've loved King Kong. I remember early in our friendship, you actually gifted me a King Kong a giant King Kong figure because you're like, I don't have room for that shit. Yeah. And like just I've I've just always loved Kong as a character. And I think for the first time in my life at least, I got to see my version of King Kong up until that point and just loved the movie. Fantastic. 
I do think, and I've said this, I've gone on record on this show since the beginning, <laughs> that I think Jack Black was horribly miscast in the movie, but it's fine. He doesn't ruin the thing for me because we have Adrian Brody in the movie. Mm, what a guy. And, and, of course, Jamie Bell in the movie, Colin Hanks, just a wonderful cast. It's a gorgeous movie to look at. Even watching it now in retrospect, it still holds up a lot of it. The stampede scene, I won't say much about, but the rest of it, Great monster movie, very heartfelt. The drama is intact. Wonderful movie. One of the yeah. best remakes of all time, for sure. So my number two is Peter Jackson's King Kong. I absolutely love that pick. Uh, you know, like you said, the whole movie is fantastic, but parts that stick out to me are when they first get to the island and they're being taken captive by the, the natives. And just like, oh, man, I think it's I think it's Colin Hanks's character when he gets killed. And... Then it's just pure pandemonium and those weird shots that are like cutting and like fading in and out. Like it's so good. Like they're in. I mean, dude, Jackson being a a horror director first, you know, we know he's an icon for that. He employed a lot of that visual style to the movie, which makes the Skull Island stuff really fucking scary. And the build up to the first time you see Kong is just so. It, it's it's so amazing. It's such a great feeling when he finally shows up. And then, of course, just all the stuff with him playing with Anne and, you know, getting to know her. It's just you're just watching a giant ape and a woman getting to know each other. But it's just beautiful. It's yeah. absolutely amazing. So, yep. All right. <clears throat> well, that brings us to uh, number, number one. fucking one. Here we are. And uh, I mean, it's no surprise to you guys what I'm going to pick. But. My number one is from 2002. It's from director Danny Boyle, written by Alex Garland. 28 Days Later, I think it's arguably one of the best infection movies ever. Um, you know, Justin, I'm sure you'll talk about it. And in, 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 if it comes up on yours and your part, that this is just, uh, it's, it's not really a zombie movie. You know, it's definitely there but it's more of an infected person movie um it's they're scary they're cunning they're fast i mean there are scenes in this movie where like there's a kitchen scene where a light comes on and then it goes to the outside and it shows the the infected person sees it and just sprints through the doorway like you're not safe it's not like your traditional it's not it's not your parents zombie movie right like it's it's these things are chasing after you there's no escape you're constantly being hunted down by this this mass infection uh the cinematography is beautiful the score is haunting and beautiful the character work is so fucking good with with cillian murphy and brendan gleason megan burns it's it's just there's nothing bad about this movie it's so good. It's so hopeless at times, but it's so, so fucking good. And they just announced today uh, that we're going to get the sequel written by uh, Danny Boyle and Alex Garland. And I think Danny Boyle, correct me if I'm wrong, is directing the first one. But part two, they haven't decided on a director um, yet. Also, I don't know if Killian's coming back to be in them, he's but he's going to be, be executive producer. producer. I mean, yeah. it's there's potential for him to come back, but they haven't confirmed if he will or not yet. And then this one, I mean, like I said, it basically started the whole running zombie phase, right? And it, you could say that it revitalized the zombie genre and, and really pushed it forward because after this a couple years later we get the walking dead right uh the dawn of the dead remake comes out a couple years after this too it's just it's so fucking good it's one that i i love to revisit and i need to revisit soon especially with the news coming out but um yeah I, this is always always going to be in the top list of a monster movie for me i just rewatched uh 
28 days later and then 28 weeks later. What's funny is that 28 weeks later, I remember watching it when it came out and me thinking, man, I loved this just as much as the first one. I, I loved how bigger scale they made it. Let me tell you what, man, that shit did not hold up on that rewatch, boy. Like, I could have told you that. <laughs> that shit did not hold up. I was like, man, especially having watched 28 days later and then immediately watching 20, uh, 28 weeks later. I was like, holy shit, like, they're, like, you can't even compare the two. Like, the sequel is just not great. There's cool moments to it, but it's not a great film. 28 days later, though. Man, it 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 takes some plays out of the Romero playbook, right? Like, you know, as as far as like kind of holing up and finding a family unit with survivors. It has a lot of similar themes that was introduced in Dawn of the Dead. And the biggest Romero um, you know, uh, example uh within 28 days later is that yeah, there's these awful fucking virus rage monsters running around but guess what's even worse we are humans people are Mm -hmm. always the fucking worst man we're always whatever is out there it's just like what i said during you know talking about the mist you know you put people in in a you know me or them scenario and it turns people into fucking savages and romero knew this all too well and and that's that's 28 days later that's what makes it fucking fantastic is when they finally think that they found refuge it's a fucking prison basically and it's like they're held captive to these awful fucking people that movie is so good um the the young girl that's that's in the film um she's not a young girl anymore cuz the movie came out a long time ago and i follow her on on instagram um and it's just it's wild that that much time has passed and I am beyond excited for a sequel, a proper sequel to come out to this. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> uh, number one. <laughs> Sorry. I was Your reading, number I was one. reading something at the same time and I was like, oh, he ended. My bad. <laughs> you were like, mm, exactly. <laughs> I concur. I concur. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like when somebody said something to you and you don't know what they said, and you just smile and nod your head, and they're like, "Nah, dude, you just stepped in a pile of shit." I'm it's like, sorry. "Oh, god damn it!" I'm sorry, I was listening, but I was trying to read more about mm. this article about the sequel. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Exactly. <laughs> oh my god! All right, <laughs> my uh, my number one came out in two thousand and one. It's about, oh shit, I hit the table. Uh, it's about a brother and sister driving home through an isolated countryside for spring break as they encounter a flesh-eating creature which is in the midst of its ritualistic eating spree. Here's the deal. Controversial. I get it. I get it. Some people that run podcasts, they wouldn't fucking mention this movie out of the sheer controversy of the fact that the director is a humongous pile of shit. I agree. The director is a humongous pile of shit. Victor Salva equals poo-poo. I saw Jeepers Creepers when it was in theaters. And uh, like I said, it it came out in 2001. So again, I was in high school. And I remember watching this movie in the theaters and thinking like, holy fuck, we're getting a new 
horror icon. Like, because the creeper looked badass. It was an original story. It was a fantastic monster movie. Uh, it had a shock ending. Uh, it had everything that I love about the horror genre in this movie. Uh, it was just f- absolutely fantastic. And it's a fucking great movie. You know, so this is a situation of I separate the art from the artist. The artist is a piece of shit. I love Jeepers Creepers. Um, it always holds up for me and it holds a, a special place in my heart for monster movies, uh, especially because of the age that I was at, you know? Me too, man. I mean, we're, we're similar age. I remember seeing it in theaters and it was it was just eye-opening to like it was something fresh and it felt awesome that was we amazing. were at that age to experience that it was it yeah. was amazing and you know discovering new horror films that that you know being able to watch them in the theater also because you know i didn't i had parents that would let me rent horror movies but my parents were never like hey let me go take you to see this horror film um so finally being the age where i could kind of go and watch horror movies in the movie theater for the first time. It was just a different experience, a different time in my life. And it's, it's a time that I, I look back on fondly. And, um, I just, I think that this movie is a fucking home run, dude. This was like our introduction, at least my introduction to Justin long. And the guy is a fucking staple in the horror genre now. And this is kind of where he cut his teeth, man. This was his introduction and he was, absolutely fantastic in this movie um the movie was scary too man this was not a tongue-in-cheek monster movie i felt like this was scary man there was legitimate suspense in the movie yeah. i mean them being chased down the down the highway uh that's that's almost like steven spielberg's duel you know what i mean like with that huge iconic rusted ass truck behind them and you know when you actually see what the creeper looks like and everything. It's like some pretty scary shit. Dude, the fact that it's like this fucking green monster that has wings that is wearing like this long coat with like a fucking cowboy <laughs> hat. Fucking hat. Cowboy <laughs> hat. Like, dude, one of the. It's a derby. Dude. <laughs> one of the coolest fucking like. They must have like just been throwing shit at the wall to see what would stick. Like, all right, now put that fucking hat on him. Yep, there it is. Like, dude, he kind of reminds me of uh, Ric Flair at certain close-ups, <laughs> like with the hair too, like with the yeah. white flowy hair in the back. Yeah, yeah, the wispy hair. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, dude, I just remembered the the scene where uh, the creeper is throwing the bodies that are that's wrapped in the sheets down the tunnel, and man, just like the movie, just it was parts of it almost played like a Hitchcock type movie until the reveal that no, this is a fucking monster. Um, I don't know, man. It, it, it's always held a special place in my heart and, uh, it always will. Uh, in my opinion, it's the only good Jeepers Creepers movie. Kind of like, I also agree with you. On yeah. That. Kind of like Jurassic park, man. Um, you know, Hey, I wouldn't go that far. I, Listen. <laughs> There's only one good Jurassic Park movie, and it's the first one. The other ones are just great entertainment popcorn films. Um, so yeah. that's how I feel about Jeepers Creepers. It's the only one that's good. The the sequels, it's take them for what they are. They're, that's as good as it's going to get. 
Well, it's funny you mentioned uh, 2001 because that year another great movie came out and it was uh, Michael Bay's Pearl Harbor. Um, so just <laughs> wanted to throw that out there because that is a classic movie. There you go. It's great. There you go. Josh Hartnett. Well, um, Josh yeah, Hartnett. yeah. Okay. The Hartnett Renaissance. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And then he was supposed true. to play Superman after that. He auditioned for Superman. He should have been Superman. He also auditioned to play Batman for Christopher Nolan, too. So, well, that would have been interesting. Maybe he shouldn't have been that. Anyways, to my number one, which was not mentioned by anybody else wow. on this wow. at all. And I looked at it as in, are there monsters in it? And there are. So I said, fuck it. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. 2007. But it did not get a wide theatrical release, but now it is widely considered one of the most beloved horror anthology movies of all time, written and directed by Michael Doherty. I'm talking about his directorial debut, Trick or Treat. Great. And we have a little tiny pumpkin man, little demon monster named Sam, which is now tattooed on like thousands of people. They have action figures, stuffed animals. We have pillows. We have maquettes. We have statues. We have literally everything of this character. And the movie also has werewolves as well. In it. Awesome looking werewolves, too. Awesome oh, werewolves. Yeah. Um, you know, and not only that, but we have Anna Paquin playing one of the werewolves. Her name is Lori in the movie, and she is absolutely fucking stunning. Turning Agreed. from wearing this just this 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 naive, soft and quiet, gentle girl wearing a little red riding hood outfit to then, you know, basically ta- taking Dylan Baker's fucking throat out, you know. Yeah. Uh just there, there's so much I could say about this movie. We've never covered it on the show, I hope to at least at some point, because there's so much we could talk about with it. But there's nothing to dislike about this movie. It is extremely well written. It's one of the best anthologies ever of all time i think that's probably why doherty's been dragging his feet on this because it will be hard to top make no mistake i mean or even it'll be hard to even come close to the brilliance it just things line up sometimes and they're cinematic miracles and i think trick-or-treat is one of those and even though it didn't get a theatrical release really i mean it had a couple screenings and then it like kind of just didn't go anywhere Warner Brothers just didn't care about it and then released it on DVD and Blu-ray. Um, now we're getting screenings of it. I screened it myself last year at Alamo Drafthouse in our largest theater, and it was fucking sold out. I mean, this movie's just such a big deal, and now a Halloween classic. People watch it right along with John Carpenter's Halloween and every other Halloween special. It's It's got everything in it that you want, much like Jeremy said um, in one of his picks earlier. It's just, you know, it's fun. There's scary suspenseful parts just well-written characters it's gorgeously shot and it has all the motherfucking halloween vibes so number one trick-or-treat that's my my top pick that's that's really it for me exactly 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 (laughs) i don't really have many honorable mentions uh jeepers creepers would have been one of them as well i did have that listed and jeremy uh i applaud you for being yourself and having it on your list and separating the art from the artist part of me felt like i wanted to include it but it just didn't make the cut anyways because i do as well love that movie and another movie that i did want to include that i thought about which is guillermo del toro's pan's labyrinth Mm -hmm. there's 
some of the best, most amazing monsters ever put on film in Pan's Labyrinth. It's less about the monsters and more about the characters in that movie where, you know, it's just it's it's dark fantasy. And I still could have put it in there, but I felt like it just it's really more of its own thing. So that's really the only strong honorable mention I had. Did you guys have any on your list at all? Uh, I had a couple. Yeah. Uh, Jeepers Creepers would have been on there. Um, I also would have put Cursed on there because uh, I think it's. (laughs) Oh, God. It's a great watch. Dude, grab a bottle of fucking Jack Daniels and pound that shit while you're watching it and you'll have a blast. (laughs) Uh, Silent Hill probably would have made the cut. Uh, I also really did like The Cave. Um, The Descent would have been on there too. The Descent would have made my list, but I put a vampire movie on there and I wanted to make room for some other ones. Um, See, that's I the same mentality, my friend. Slither. And the one that I was worried about that wouldn't fit, but I think it may have, was the Hill Have Eyes remake. Dude, um, yeah, yeah. I know they're absolutely not technically monsters. Yeah, they're but... monsters. Dude, if you see that one of those motherfuckers in the dark in an alley and it's coming at you, that's a goddamn monster. So... <laughs> I think you would have been safe. If that thing's breaking into my RV at one in the morning when I'm broken down in the middle of the desert, yeah, it's a monster. But yeah, so Hills Have Eyes. Uh, I, I didn't know if I should include it or not, but it's a great fucking movie. Um, and it is fucking terrifying. Uh, those things are little, nasty, disgusting creatures. So, uh, Not little. They're fucking... Some of those are huge. Pluto, isn't that the main one that was um, played by uh, yeah. Michael yeah, Bailey yeah. Smith, uh, who, who was super Freddy? Um, dude, I, I I would say you'd be safe with that because if one of those motherfuckers was approaching me in an alley, um, or breaking into my house, uh, I I think okay, well there's some goddamn monsters. So yeah, I'd say that fits. Yeah, and um, then the the one guy who plays the the son-in-law, the the husband or and the dad of the the kids was Aaron Stanford, and he played Pyro in X two and X three. Oh, remember that. He like joined Magneto's forces. Yeah, he had the whole thing with the Zippo lighter constantly flickering it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Edgy and shit. He looked know. a lot like Killian Murphy. Um, and I also probably would have put in um, uh, Wrong Turn because it's like kind of like the same thing. Like they're it's the same vibe as like these incest things. To, so, uh, loved the original Wrong Turn movie. But yeah, that's what I would have had. Well, there it is, ladies and gentlemen. That is our top five. Monster movies of the 2000s, a.k.a. 2000 to 2010. Thanks so much for listening. If it's your first time, thanks for checking us out. If you're a continuing listener of the show, we love you for checking out every single episode and supporting us. If you want to check us out on social media, we're all over the place. At Epic Film Guys on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, literally everywhere you want to find people and of course we're on every place every podcatcher that you would want to listen to podcasts as well but you know that's that's really it for now we're looking forward to all the upcoming content we have for you guys and yeah as we always like to say we like to ask you to keep it someone's in your house exactly someone's in your house someone's in your house (laughs) 